Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. It's time to attend you when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Yes, Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've reached the end of another week and yes, another month as we march on towards, wait for it, scroll-free September. That's right, it's yet another group of busybodies from yet another charity telling us what to do. It's not Stoptober or Dry January, but scroll-free September is brought to us by the very same people. That's right, it's the Royal Society for Public Health. Who? I hear you ask. Well, that's what I said too. Uh, So I decided to look into them and I'll be telling you exactly who these people are and why they're so interested in telling us what to do. 03444991000. If I want to give up using my phone, using my iPad, using my laptop, I'll decide whether to do that. Thanks very much indeed. I don't really need some organisation telling me it's good for my health. Coming up, we'll be exposing the depth of inefficiency and fraud in our public sector. One woman from Kensington Chelsea Council pleaded guilty yesterday to stealing more than £60,000 from a public fund meant for survivors of the Grenfell Tower disaster. She went on holidays, she went gambling. There's no one actually policing these people. 03444991000. Also, a little later on, we'll be tasting some red wine for the autumn season and we'll be telling you why £1.2 billion has been spent on getting more people to cycle and encourage them out there onto the roads. And guess what? It has failed spectacularly. And because it's Friday, it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards presented this week by Miss Perrier herself. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Katie Perrier on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Peter, uh, who's over in Folkestone. Hi, Peter. Hi, Peter. Hi, good morning, Mike, Katie. How are you? Yeah, very well. What do you want to tell us? Well, I'd like to say two things about council waste. Right. Uh, Waste of money. Yeah. Um, One is sort of light-hearted, I suppose, but still wasteful. And two is actually quite serious. Okay. So, number one, I used to live in Lambeth, and you can almost set your watch... You know, once every couple of months, there would be the usual copy of Lambeth Pravda coming out, <laughs> telling everyone in the local area how much money they had spent yes. of their money, how they had achieved excellent value, mm. how they were delivering wonderful services, even though everything was getting cut back. Yes. And you could have it in 28 different languages on application right. uh, with the council. Well, do you know, actually... 
that that whole move that money. that whole move by councils up and down the land was actually quite insidious. And I'll tell you why. Because what they did was they got fed up with local newspapers reporting on stuff that they didn't want to see in the papers. You know, telling them what they weren't doing right. You know, running columns by people who actually were telling the truth about how bad the council was being run. So what they did was they said, right, I'll tell you what, the only money you guys ever make is from our advertising. So we're going to pull all our advertising, we're going to make our own newspaper, and you guys are going to go out of business. And that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right, mate. Shocking. Absolute. Yeah. Pravda is, is just the thin end of the wedge, I'm telling you. Well, the, the, the dark side of this is um, my daddy's in a care home. Right. And my daddy has more than £23,500 in his bank account. Right. Now, you could argue that makes him a lucky lad, or you could argue that makes him a fool because he's in a care home for dementia. Right. And without his knowledge, he is being charged X, Y, Z pounds a month. And they're just taking um, it, are they? Oh, no, no. But the good news is, you see, he is... Yes, of course they are. They're, they're, they're taking it, absolutely. Um, you know, and I can tell you that it's north of £5,000 a month. Wow. But if you're a local council, if you receive that same treatment in the same care home and you are funded by the council, mm. you pay half that. And I don't mean you, the person. The council fee is mates rates. Really? Two and a half thousand. Yeah. But the private payers are paying double that, so we're subsidising all That's the council shocking. people. That's, That's exactly what's happening. Shocking. You're subsidising everybody else, and it surely, surely cannot go on for much longer. They must and, outlaw that. And just, just to be, to add insult to injury, Kate. Okay, we are flogging for money the only mentally in, unable group of people to fight back. We're not taking from the sick. We're taking from those who don't even know they're being robbed. Yeah. And there's no incentive there to keep that money then, is it? So why should people save for their old age if you're going to take it off them when the person in the bed next to you gets the whole thing for free or it, it's certainly at discount yeah. rates from the local council? It's a perverse system that doesn't encourage anybody. It's, it's wholly... I mean, I mean, there's a moral... I don't like morals and money being in the same equation, but you could argue there's a morality thing here. Why, don't, why can't they even just offer you to pay the rate at the same rate as the council? Yes, exactly. Because presumably, I mean, what happens, if, what happens in four years' time or whatever when that money runs out, Peter? Well, what happens, um, you know, when, when Dad's fund, if you will, is, you know, stops trading, yeah. or he, he runs into less than 23 and a half grand in his bank account, mm. um, is that then he is then council-funded. So, so then, why why charge you anything in the first place? Then you know what I mean. Well, I, I to be honest with you, uh, Mike, I think it's because they have just completely, you know, there are some parts of business and government that have a dark side. You know, the government allowed people like Wonga to operate for loads and loads of time until the press information got too much, and then they started to rein them in. Yeah? yeah, and it's the same deal with this. You know, the, the, you know, basically, this is moving a problem away from the government for a large fee to some unknown shareholders who are flogging the public for money. It's absolutely and it's, dreadful. And it's it really is, Peter. Listen, that's a fantastic call. Thank you very much for telling us all that, Peter in Folkestone. You've got to feel sorry for Peter and for his father. Um, because there's no kind of um, justice, really, is there, in that sort of setup? Because not only is it appalling to give a break uh, financially to people who work for the council, but it's also ludicrous to charge somebody money until you use up all their money 
and then give it to give it to them for free. I mean, it makes no sense. You see this headline all the time, and once at least once a year, competition gets the sack from school sports days. Front page of the Times today. It's not actually about competition going out of the sports day, but what it is saying, interestingly, is that the government figures show a sharp fall in the proportion of young children taking part in a competitive sports day, which means they're not doing as many sports days, I presume, rather than they're having sports days where nobody wins. Because I've been doing this story for years, right? And I've been to many sports days, as I'm sure you have. And my certainly the primary school that my kids used to go to, they had um, a competition, but it was between teams. So that like my son, my older son, who's quite fast, he won one race. And I'm going, great, waiting for him to get the cup. And it turned out they gave the cup to the team. You know, because he was part of the yellow team yeah. or something like that at the end of the, of the thing. Yeah. So you amassed points yes. for the team, which is not the same as having no competition, is it? No, 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 no. It's, it's very competitive, even just to amass points. But the point, the reason why schools uh, might be shying away from uh, sports days is because uh, basically they're too lazy, in my opinion, because it's just extra effort to, to organise. It's more grief. It's, it's insurance problems in. as well. It's insurance problems. It's inviting parents in. You don't want parents to fall out. You don't want any competitiveness. Better off just scrap the whole thing entirely. Mm. Now, you know, I think sports days are a very good thing because the children really look forward to it. They they really enjoy it. It's something that I always used to say at work at number 10. I'm not missing sports day. Did they I have a sports day at number going. 10? That would have uh, been fun. They do have a kind of rounders and a few do other they? things. Yeah, occasionally. Right. But um, I said I'm not missing it because the kids really do enjoy it and they get into it. And, you know, I've got two boys. They like to race. They like to compete. One's really good at the javelin. One's, uh, you know, tries his best at the um, kind of long distance. And they love amassing the points and they love being part of their kind of team. They're in the green team, St. Patrick's House. And they love it. And they can really, you know, get excited by it. And what I think is good about the fact that there's a kind of competitive nature to what they do uh, is not because I'm a tiger mum. It's because life isn't fair. It's not. And someone's going to come into the office. You know, my son's going to go into the office age 25 and someone's going to go, well, that piece of work that you did, you know, good on you for making an effort. It's rubbish. <laughs> and you should get your finger out and do a better job. Or else you're What five. I'm going to say to my children when they're older is, I don't care if you're not the best, but whatever you choose to be do in life, I want you to absolutely, you know, put effort into it. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to be number one. Right. But if you haven't put effort in, then I'm really not going to be very happy. And what we're saying by taking competition out of sports days is, oh, it's all about taking part. Yeah. Well, well it make isn't. an effort actually. Well, actually, I'm not even sure that's right. Making an effort's not always uh, enough. You have to also reward people who win. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with losing. You no. have to point that out and say, look, you don't have to win all the time. And it's but you should, failure. But you should try to win all the time. What's wrong with that? Let's talk to John and see what he makes of it. John, a very good uh, morning to you. Hi, John. Uh, uh, good morning. Thank you. Good sorry, to, sorry to keep you waiting while we rabbit on there. Ranting on there. Um, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't get the impression. I mean, we see these headlines all the time. I, I'm not sure that competition has been completely removed, but there is a sort of a school of thought out there, isn't there, where you don't want to encourage kids to be too kind of ratty with each other and too aggressive with each other. Uh, there is a line of thought, and I think uh, that there certain uh, well, certain parents actually in certain schools do seem to be. Um, nervous of, of allowing kids to compete and I feel I can't help feeling that you know by doing that where do you stop I mean some kids don't like school trips some kids don't like exams I kind of think if you take the competitiveness out of sports day or scrap it all together where do you stop yes you know you, you sort of got you you just got to keep on going and <laughs> you know um, and also the other point I always think is my daughter um there wasn't actually a school thing it was an extracurricular thing she's big on gymnastics the last competition that she took part in she came away with a medal it wasn't silver it wasn't gold it was bronze 
But that has done so much to encourage her to participate in sport and to be active and lead a healthy lifestyle. And I feel that if we remove all the competitiveness and we do away with sports day, we are, you know, it's one more opportunity we have for children. Yeah, I think you're right, because I think in the end, children are, by, by their nature, competitive. You know, you have to almost make them uncompetitive rather than make them competitive, because you, all you have to do is look at them out playing or out sort of, you know, doing stuff on their own in the garden or running around in a park or even on a, on a you know, a games console. They're trying to beat each other at something. Well, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're always trying to win. They're my daughters. They're five and nine, and they're, they're always trying to outdo each other at everything yeah <laughs> yeah right but it also um, teaches us about failure doesn't it in terms that's of that's a very good point that, actually you know what how do you pick yourself up when you're last in the race how do you get over the fact that you were not brilliant at something oh you know do you find that something else you're brilliant at or do you just accept that yeah. you're going to be mediocre at everything you know it teaches us how to cope with it i always say to people that probably the best thing that ever happened to me was to fail my 11 plus because it just absolutely set me up for a life in politics <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, you... I, I think that's a, that's a really, really valid point. It's not just that kids have the experience of not coming first or, or failing sometimes, but that they learn to bounce back yes. from it. And they have to have the opportunity to lose sometimes. Yeah, I think that's absolutely vital. You know, in fact, in many ways, more... Uh, uh, more important than winning at mm, all because absolutely. I mean the other way of course to go is I mean I always have this argument with people who say um, oh you know because I'm always delighted to beat my children at anything you like you know we had a tennis court down in um, uh, Devon where we were staying and I was quite happy to whack them around the tennis court believe it or not I was actually still able to beat them at it and people were going well don't, why don't you let them win I'm like well, what, would, what would be the point of that I don't let my kids beat me at anything if they can beat me it's because they can beat me not because I let them win <laughs> I have to say, I do let my kids win, so I've got to be careful they're within That's not good for them, though. <laughs> but that's, do, fun. that's creating false, you know, <laughs> hope. Well, I don't know how old your kids are. Mine are five and nine. I mean, you know, if they were... No, no, I've, I've done it. I've got four kids ranging from 27 down to uh, 11, and every single yeah. one of them I've beaten at, at something over the years, uh, even as young as five. Do you know what, the most, competitive, cards, the most competitive family are the Johnson family, Stanley Johnson and his children. Yeah. You know, they would phone each other up and go, how did he do in his exams? Or, you know, he got, got a first or he got, you know, yeah. A's. And they all go, oh, God. Yeah. You know, they always want to do the other one in. Yeah. They always want to do best. best. How many lessons it took before they got their driving license? Yeah. Well, mine were 13, mine was 16 or right. 25 or whatever it might be. And he's he's had that from day one. Mm. If you didn't get to the front of the queue, you got less food. That's yeah. how much competitive it is in Johnson household. It's, it's crazy. Well, he looks like he got to the front of the queue quite a lot. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. We should keep it going in schools, and we should encourage it with you know moderation. I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, I I, I wouldn't be. Uh... I, I wouldn't be encouraging my kids to be quite as competitive yes. as the Johnsons. I think that's... No, you wouldn't want to be responsible for another family like that, would you? But here's another question for you, John, because <laughs> um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's about the same age as me, and we were talking about my son who went out for, he's 14 now, he went out for the first time with his mates into town, yeah. you know, uh, without any parental supervision. It's only up the road. Um, but he, this guy said to me, he said, well, why don't he just go and play football? And I said, well, you know, it's funny. You know, when, when we were younger, we would take, you know, a couple of jumpers on the floor, uh, we'd be playing football pretty much all day um, with yeah. varying sort of results of teams changing all the rest of it. But kids don't really do that now, do they? I mean, it more, if it's not organised, like in a sort of five-a-side inside a you know wired fence, they don't. I, I never see kids just playing in a park with jumpers on the ground anymore. Well, you know, there's a fascinating um, thing to say there because we've just moved house. Right. We've we've just moved from an area 
um, where we lived on a very steep hill with a, a, a busy A road, an arterial road up into South London at the right. bottom of the road. And we've just moved a bit further south where we now live somewhere flat, quieter, less traffic, mm. and now we do see kids out. And our, within days of moving in, our kids had made friends with the next-door neighbours, and that never happened in our old place. Right. I, I think I think there's a real... I can't really say that we live in the country, but um, yeah, I think there is a real town-country sort of quieter divide there. I think in the towns and the cities, you don't. Mm. You don't see that at all. And I grew up in a very rural area, um, uh, so, I, so that was my experience when I was younger. And I, I do have, I, I, some, with some sadness, I have to acknowledge that my kids just don't have the freedom or the chance to mingle with other kids that I did when I was younger. And I do find that very sad. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, listen, uh, fascinating stuff. John, thanks very much indeed. John Adams there from dadblogukcom 
Hi, good afternoon to you too. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, I mean, it's not a, 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 a job, I suppose, or a, or a business which gets talked about an awful lot, the funeral director's business. So I'm very happy to have the opportunity to talk to you about it, to be honest. Um, but what do you make of this story? Because obviously the, the funeral director in question was, was having some difficulties. I'm not sure whether they were personal or financial. I think there might have been a bankruptcy involved as well. Um, I mean, have you ever heard of anything like this happening? Well, no, I haven't, to be quite absolutely honest, and I've been doing this some near on 50 years. Right. But you're right in what you've just said, Mike, is that people don't talk about it. So when someone goes into a funeral director's, they entrust their loved one to that funeral director. Mm. Um, but they're having to make decisions about something they know little, if anything, about at a time with anything else in life. You say, look, I'm sorry, I can't do this. So I think it's so important to discuss and with relatives what's going to happen, what do I want, where do I want to go. But coming to the main thrust of this, no, I haven't heard of this sort of story before. And when I did hear of it, um, I thought this this cannot be true, but clearly it's been stood up and it is true. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I suppose the first question I would have for you is in the circumstances that he found himself in, um, he goes in to get the body. I mean, would the body be stored in a in a fridge? Um, would it be um, on a on a sort of uh, in a coffin? Would it be where would it be? Well, when he when he did gain entry to the funeral parlour, um, I understand that there and I know there weren't any facilities. There wasn't any refrigeration. There wasn't a proper mortuary. Oh dear! Um, because this, and he 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 went in. Uh, his mother in law's on a table covered with a blanket or a sheet. Uh, and I cannot imagine the anguish it must have caused him to, to actually do this. Yeah. But he did because he was so distressed. Um, because presumably he was worried that um, the, maybe he knew the conditions were not great and, and he wanted to basically get on with a funeral and he couldn't do that obviously without the body. No, exactly. And I think he wanted uh, to protect his wife, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I think it's I an ultimate kind of action of love, isn't it? To, say, to to make sure that your wife doesn't have to go through this I think, anguish. I, think you, I don't think you quite describe it I as do. the ultimate act of love. I think it's amazing that someone would go to that length. I love to make you sure. so much, I've stolen your mother in law's <laughs> dead body. I mean, well, I'm sorry. Ah, it's a keeper. I went to the police. The guy said he went to the police and told him what he was planning to do, and you know, he was trying to contact this company and couldn't. But this is the the, the problem: is really the lack of facilities that I know, ex- or the lack of facilities that they just didn't have there. Right. Um, there was no oversight, Mike. They were, they didn't have to be long, and they don't have to be long to any sort of really. No, it's voluntary. Right. So I, so I could open up a funeral parlour tomorrow with no qualifications uh, in a shop front? Yes. It's madness. Blimey. That is madness. Yeah. It's, it's got to be madness. I think I will. It is madness. And um, there are two organisations, the National Society of Allied Independent Funeral Directors, the short acronym for that is SAFE, right. and the National Association of Funeral Directors, which is NASD. Both What's the difference, membership, John? Well... One, uh, SAFE is purely for independent funeral companies. Um, the, the, the NAFD is more generic. Okay. But the point is, and the important point for people listening, membership of those organisations, whilst voluntary, there is a code of practice which members have to adhere to, and their premises, importantly, are subject to random inspection or annual inspection, Um which at least puts some sort of safeguard in place that people can be reassured this company has got facilities 
they have got a mortuary, they have got refrigeration. Yeah. I agree with you, it, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you I don't assume, know. You just assume, don't you? You would assume that the funeral directors would have refrigeration. You would never think that they don't have those facilities, in my opinion. Yeah, but I mean, if you're well, just... You're right, absolutely. I mean, I've never actually... I don't think I've actually been inside a funeral director's, so I don't know what you get. You know, do you, do you, is there a desk? Is there a sort yeah, of... Yeah, it's a very miserable experience. Is it? Yeah, not not because they don't do a good job, because they actually do well, do their best. Well, you're usually grieving but for Exactly, yeah. so it's all very grim. Right. Uh, but yeah. you don't sit there and think about all the things you're thinking about, the cars, the budget, how much you can spend, the flowers, donations charity... How many families are going to go in the cars? One thing you don't think about is, is my loved one behind that desk, you know, just sitting there decomposing, well, basically? I mean, and, she's and been there, presumably, right. she's been there a few days at minimum, right? Would, at least. Would, without wishing to be too graphic, I mean, would she not have been stiff? There would certainly have been evidence, I would have, I would think, of decomposition. Right. Uh, no, but the, would she not have rigor, right rigor mortis, though? Yeah, rigor mortis, almost certainly rigor mortis would have set in, but there would almost certainly be evidence of decomposition. I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I'm only talking from experience. What he's trying to say also is, is, is it hard to get someone in a wheelbarrow? Well, you can't if they're flat like that, can you? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't have much experience of trying to plough a dead person into a wheelbarrow, to be honest, Mike. But, you yeah. know, the whole thing is a very sorry, sorry tale. It is. And, you know, Tragic. It, it is. Do you, but what well, happens? What what happens if you are dealing with a funeral director that is a member of an association? Can you go to them to complain and say, "Look, no one's picking up the phone. I'm really worried. Can you help?" What can people do? They can do exactly that because there are, there's a, each of those organisations have professional standards committees, and the last thing members want is to be hauled before one of those because the sanctions are draconian if uh, they find against you. Uh, it's a, I think it's a good thing, personally, because it makes sure that we all maintain standards. But do you have power? Right in, in, yeah. Do you have power to kind of... Say, you're, yeah. You're, but you're right in what you're saying. When you go into a funeral home, you've got so much on your mind. You've got so many decisions to take. It's a big ask to say, I want to see in your mortuary facility or I want to see uh, exactly where mum, dad or whoever's going to be. It's traumatic. Mm. You shouldn't have to do that. I doubt anyone. I mean, do, do people do that? Do they ask to go and see, you know, exactly where well, they their loved I mean, one would think, be? I think you'd be tempted to after this story. I you? would never ask to do that ever. You just some assume. People, yeah, but some people, some people do. We, we've had a family just recently. We we moved their mother at I think it was three a.m. in the morning, and they asked if they could accompany us to our facilities, um, just 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 on the, her final journey, so to speak. Mm. And we were comfortable with that. Um, but it, it's not the sort. It's not an everyday occurrence. No. no. And do you you don't always pick the, the the loved one up in a, a hearse, do you? Presumably, if you're just removing a body. Um, very often, it's a um, what what you see on the TV now is very often a private ambulance. It's oh a, yeah. It's a, a closed van with which is equipped with various bits and pieces. Um, but to equip the vehicles now, that 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 private ambulance, you're looking at thirty five, forty thousand pounds. Really. Right. So there's a fair capital cost, and a lot of the companies that start up don't have any of these facilities. Right. You know, they use... I'm staggered that, uh, that, uh, that you say that there's no requirement for regulation or anything like that. I so mean, what would they do? Just pick someone up in a van? Or, the, or a car, an estate car. Oh, a lot of God. hospitals now Hatchback. say that they've got to have proper facilities. Yeah. Depends. This is... Um, it's, it is a, a, a sad state of affairs. Certainly in Scotland, they've just introduced registration 
um, the Scottish Government have introduced registration, and, and I hope, and certainly our organisation, SAFE, would strongly support some form of registration. Yeah, and is that any t- is that likely to be coming anytime soon? <laughs> Mike, your guess is as good as mine with the legislation. You know, yeah. Um, how long is a piece of string? But this must highlight to the powers that be that something needs to be done. It does. It really does. I just I, I worry that people are kind of being shortchanged by some of this, and yeah. you know, they're going on the high street thinking, is it that some of the chain brands are more trustworthy or not really? Certainly, you know, people criticise the bigger groups. But not all what they do is right, but not all what they do is wrong. And certainly the groups have invested, have, have a lot of independence, a great deal of money in facilities. Um, and I would think the majority of funeral directors would say, if you want to look around, by all means, come and look. That puts your mind at rest. What's, what's the situation, John, with, with sort of um, cremations and, and, and burials nowadays? Is it about 50-50 or do, what would you say people are more likely to ask for? Um, I think last year in the UK, Mike, there was about 630,000 deaths. 75% of those resulted in cremation. Really? So the mm. cremation is a, is a more sort of more likely outcome then. Is it cheaper? Um, it can be, yeah. Um, it, it can be very much. A funeral account's divided into two parts, Mike. There's the funeral director's charges and the monies that the funeral director will pay to third parties, such as crematoria, doctors, cemetery, etc. Mm. It depends where and the sort of grave you buy, believe it or not. Um, in in this part of Kent, uh, I think this, in Medway, for instance, the cemetery fees are about two, two and a half thousand pounds. In London, it can be considerably more. Well, because presumably you run out of space after a while, don't you? Because, you know, in Germany, I only discovered this a few years ago, they have a very, you may know this, but they have a very odd policy in Germany uh, I, because I w- went to see some relatives' graves, right? And apparently you rent the grave in Germany and you only rent it for a certain period of time and then they kind of rake it over and bury somebody else there. Yes, in, in, in the UK, um, in, in municipal cemeteries, you buy a grave for up to, say, 100 years. And what happens um, then? Um, basically nothing, Mike. The, the local authorities could, in theory, if there's room, bury other people in there, but it's very, very rare. Right. Um, and that's why in, in London, certainly some of the London boroughs are running out of or haven't got any space yeah. left. No, I can imagine. Um, but um, churchyards, of course, where the grave, you, you can't buy a grave in a churchyard. That's always, ownership's always vested in the church. They're all full. And, well, churchyards have you reuse the graves. Um, so oh, do they? If, oh, yeah, yeah, but not, you know, they won't, they, they leave a reasonable amount of time, sort of 75 to 100 okay. years. Well, because normally um, I walk through, if I walk through a church graveyard, there's all kinds of very, very old headstones there. Mm, yeah, um, but very often, all the time that churchyard's open, someone who lives in an area where there's a churchyard, they've got a common law right of burial oh, in okay. that churchyard. So we would find a grave that hasn't been used for, say, 100 mm. years. It's got the appropriate depth required. Um, and it will be reused. Okay. And one final question. Um, have you ever had a case of mistaken identity? Thank God, no. <laughs> that would be a bad uh, bad one, a mistake to make, be. wouldn't it? Yeah, and, as a, and again, the, the, the procedures that SAFE and the NFD put in place are there to prevent that sort of thing happening. But do you know, when I heard about this story from, uh, from you know, obviously our part of Kent, as you said earlier, Given that it was in Rochester, 
it, it, it reminded me of something you'd read in a Dickensian novel. I know. Rochester being the home of Dickens. That's right, yeah. And it shouldn't happen in 2018. It really shouldn't. It shouldn't. No wonder it made the front page of The Sun, because yeah. it's kind of shocking, well, yeah, really, isn't absolutely. it? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be amazed if anyone saw what he was doing and didn't do anything, though. That's the other thing that astonishes me, because if you saw somebody carrying a body in whichever kind of shape it was in, even under a blanket, you'd surely know, and you'd surely call the police or something, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, but I, I rather suspect, given this gentleman apparently had gone, he told the local press here that he had gone to the police and explained what was he was going to do. Mm. So I suppose if they'd got any calls, someone's walking down Rochester High Street with a dead person. They said, oh, yeah, we know all about that. Oh, he he yeah, rang in earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, I just feel sorry for him. I truly do. So do I. So do I. I once um, woke up about half past two in the morning. I used to live opposite a graveyard in a little cottage and... Uh, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning to find some man digging a grave outside, Ooh, and I called the police. I was so scared, and I said, "You know, get here now! Someone is was it digging." Was Joe Pesci? Was it? And he was burying jewellery. Can you believe he was Why? a thief? He was a jewellery thief. Yeah. And he was burying. He used to apparently go there, bury his stuff. Oh, because look, because if you saw a freshly sort of dug scenario, you wouldn't think anything of it. No. And then you know, go back a couple of months later Blimey. and dig it back up again. So you know, yeah. I managed to catch someone there. Yeah, because the um, those Hatton Garden jewel thieves did a similar thing, didn't they? Some of those had held, hid their stash in a London cemetery. Madness, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, listen, John. I feel very much better educated now about the mortuary <laughs> business. So thank, thank you very you. much indeed for talking to us. John Weir, chap, independent the job. He is. Well, I mean, yeah. you've got to laugh, haven't you? I mean, a job like that. John Weir, uh, independent funeral director, national spokesman for SAFE, the Society of Allied and Independent Funeral Directors. I love the fact that there's two different bodies. Too. It's Friday. It's the last day of August. It's time for this. The 2018 Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. That's right. It must be a special occasion because I'm here on a Friday, which means I get to host the Perrier Awards myself. This is where I cast my ears back over the week of the so-called Independent Republic of Mike Graham and choose my favourite moments. So let's find out who's won this week. Let's begin with John Nicholson. He wins the Mistaken Identity Award. As on Monday, he sat in for Mike. Um, Mike, what, Mike, what's his face? Hello, a very good morning to you. It's just leaving 10 o'clock. You're listening to John Nicholson sitting in here for Mike Andrews. <laughs> yeah, that's Doesn't it. sound like he knows what his own name is either, by the sounds of it. Mike Andrews. Our second award goes to John, where he sat in for Mr Andrews on Monday. He and Daisy McGraham were discussing Charles Kennedy, during which John won the Perrier for Linguistic Expert of the Week. Uh, and he was, yeah, he was very, very popular and he understood what people wanted. And he understood the role that the Lib Dems needed to play within British politics. And I think, you know, I mean, he would be turning in his grave if he knew that Lib Dems were on 8% yes. now, which they he, are. He knew how to speak human. Oh, did he? Human. Oh, uh, human. Human. Okay, so, <laughs> Mike, you'd be pleased to know you win the next award for Dad Joke of well, the Week. Well, that's enough about Nicholson, for heaven's sake. <laughs> for you this... know, this goes to be my show. <laughs> Dad Joke of the Week coming up. We settled the scallop-scallop debate because basically right. you can say either. We're both right, as it turns out. You can say scallops and I'll say scallops. This is what you mean, right? You say it's settled, it's not settled. It is. It's you not. can say both. In the dictionary, you can say it both ways. Okay. You don't no. even eat them, do you? No. There you go. You're just being shellfish. <laughs> do you know, That's quite good, though. Do you know what? Channel 4 News, right, that very same night, opens with Christian Guramurti 
and he made the same joke and he on got Channel 4 News. Thousands and thousands of people to retweeting that. So, you know, you're wasted, mate. Yeah. Absolutely wasted. He nicked it from me. And whilst we're on the theme, Mike, you could also win the Old Man Award for being down with the kids. But it is, another, it is another world, isn't it? I mean, it's like that YouTube fight that took place over the course of uh, the weekend. I think it was Saturday night. Uh, between uh, Rogan Paul, I think it was, and PSI. Logan Paul, sorry, and PSI. Uh, KSI. <laughs> you didn't have a clue, did you? Uh, no, I did, because my kids wanted to watch it. But yeah, I could never remember their names. Waste of time. I mean, PSI, KSI, Whatever. it's difference. I know, richer than CSI. us. CSI. Richer than us to put together, I'm afraid, though. <laughs> Our next perrier that we've for the best reaction, it goes to the caller, Samantha in Scunthorpe. Mm. Can I ask you something, just sure. to finish? Yes. So, I can sense you're not a big fan of Theresa May, who would you replace her with then? Uh, I would replace her actually probably with Boris Johnson. Right. Oh, OK. You look visibly shocked. Yeah, she wasn't that impressed, was she? she no, I don't think she was, no. I'm humbly awarding the next period to myself. Um, when we were discussing the Scallop Wars against the French, I came up with this idea, meaning I get the Cunning Plan Award. Uh-huh. Its location, its identity, all, all of that information, particularly from the larger vessels, is, is being transmitted to anybody who wants to see it. I've got an ah. app on my phone that tells me where where my vessels are. and, and So it's uh, like an... You can't just fancy dress then. You can't dress up as the French no, ones and try and no. dummy run them. Why, why would you want to? Just because they be, they look like they, they can't choose to, between one or another. You can't, you can't put a blue another. and white striped shirt on and put onions around your neck either. I mean, that's not going to work, is it, Jim? I thought it was a genius plan until yeah. I knew they had Thank GPS God, tracking. you're not in 10 Downey Street anymore. <laughs> Out of I've got com- a plan, Teresa. Folks, I've got a plan. <laughs> Out of that conversation with Jim Porter, Southwest Fish Producers Association, this French counterpart, Pascal Coquette, wins the By Name and By Nature Award. So who's your counterpart over there from the French side? Uh... Yeah, a gentleman called Pascal Coquette. He's Pascal in the Coquette. Uh, re- Yeah, yeah, he's very coquettish as Is well. He? And <laughs> that was great. That was a great interview. So for the first time ever in the Perry Awards, a day of the week is winning. Wednesday wins the slowest news day of the week. And if you don't believe us, listen to this. So well, we've got a few more minutes to talk about uh, dreams. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. But coming up, we're going to talk about goats with the president <laughs> of the British Goat Society. <laughs> I tell you, the goats. That Listen, was good, though. It was very interesting. The goats was interesting, yeah. And yeah. the dreams were even more fascinating, actually. Don't. I haven't had a good night's sleep since that interview. Did you do that thing, by yes, the way? Yes, it doesn't work. And I've had really two nights on the trot, bad sleep. Well, you've been lying there staring at the ceiling. Thinking, I'm going to remember this dream and then I, I can't get to sleep. I completely forgot to do it. Oh, to yeah, see. Half a job, half yeah. a job. You promised. I know. A bit of a look behind the scenes now. What you just heard was known as the tease, where the presenter will throw ahead to what's coming up in the show to keep you, you the listener, tuned in. Who's told you that? Obviously, this job <laughs> falls to Mike as a presenter, so it's no surprise he's won the Perrier for the tease of the week. Lots more to come, including, of course, uh, more PC nonsense, uh, PC gone mad, uh, and whether olive oil is actually better than Viagra. Um, don't worry, there's not going to be any demonstrations going, I don't think. <laughs> show and tell. Um, no, this is talk radio. <laughs> What a link. I think Daisy seemed quite keen, to be honest. She sounds frightened to me. Yeah. And finally, a favourite for the Perry Awards. It's a shutdown of the week, and this week it goes to one of Tamworth's finest. This one, the only, the Bibbledy Bob the Clown. <laughs> if you say, if you say that um, uh, that you're doing what you're doing today as a clown for free, right, how are you making a living? I didn't say I was doing it for free today. Oh, it's I thought you said it was all free. free for the children. Oh, I thought you said it was all free. For the children. Oh, right. Come on now, Mr. Journalist, pay attention. (laughs) Loving it. That's why we should talk to you every time. I thought it was going to end with me cutting him off. That wasn't no, a no, shutdown. No, he put you down. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Yeah, you but were he wrong. can't cut me off, though. Oh, you How was like I wrong? Because he wasn't free. He was no, getting paid. he was. Paid. He told me he was doing it for free. He was doing it for free for the kids, but right. he was getting paid. Who was paying him? 
Well, someone else, obviously. Well, then he's not doing but it for free, if is If you were any kind of decent well, journalist, you would have asked who clown. else was paying him. Anyway, clown. that's it for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. Hang on. Hang on. Before you put that music, there's something else I'd like to add. Okay. Because I don't normally get involved in the Perry Awards, no. right? However, there was such a gross um, error on this show today that I believe it should be included in the Perry Awards. Last minute entry. Last minute entry. It's not from you. Don't worry. You're looking nervous. I am looking, I looking, looking a bit nervous. Got a bit then. pale over there. Don't worry. There's some red wine <laughs> calm, coming in. Calm. Stay calm. This has all to do with uh, the. Uh, can only I can only describe it as the carelessness of producer Con, right? Who uh, got a caller in from uh, Bristol by the name of Andy. Oh right? yes. Uh, told me he was ready to talk to me, right? So I went to talk to Andy in Bristol, and this is what I got. Let's talk to Andy, who's in Bristol. Hello, Andy. Hi, Andy. Hey, we have two minutes, Andy. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, Andy. Uh, uh, you know, the world goes on and turns and all that sort of thing. You better be quick. Let's, <laughs> hear, let's just hear that voice again. Go on, Andy. Hello? Yeah, hello, Andy. Oh, no, no who... I think we might, have, we might have lost Andy there. Do you know who that was? It was Con. It wasn't Andy. No. It was the producer, Con, who'd forgotten to hang up the phone properly. <laughs> So he was now talking to me, and I couldn't talk to Andy because I thought it was Andy uh, being uh, funny. I thought I'd better give him a going over. You can't get the staff. You it's can't get the hopeless, staff isn't it? anymore. Yeah. That's it. Anyway, uh, that's sats. the last of the Perrier Awards. That's it. Gone. That's it. The 2018 Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.